Amen. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, if you do not have a Bible, we have lots here, so uh, just slip up your hand. Don't be embarrassed by that. We'll make sure that you get one. You can borrow it, or if you don't have any Bible that you own, you can, you can have it. We've got plenty. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be starting in uh, verse 19b. B just means the second half of verse 19. And we're going to read down through verse 25. These words penned by Luke, a physician, a historian who is very careful and meticulous about gathering his facts, but most importantly, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know that this is all true. And this is about um, Saul, just shortly after his conversion to Christ. Hear, Hear the word of God speaking through Luke. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Let's pray. Father God, as the word is preached this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts. We cannot understand and discern your word without help from the Spirit, without illumination from the Spirit, so I pray that that would happen Uh, As the word is preached, help us to receive it, help us to understand it, help us to apply it to our life, and help us to love it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Deemer. Well, good morning, everybody. Is this on back there? All right. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. We're going to continue uh, through our series of the book of Acts called He Reigns, and uh, I considered breaking away from our series that we're doing going through the book of Acts to do a special Easter service on the resurrection. And, uh, and then I just looking over this passage, this passage is all about the resurrection. So we're going to keep on going through the book of Acts because what Paul is experiencing here, what Saul is experiencing in this conversion experience is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He has seen the resurrected Christ. So this passage is all about the resurrection. When you think of earth-shattering events, events that have changed the course of history, a lot of different events might come to mind. Just within the last hundred years, you can think of things like um, World War II, and specifically maybe special things that happened during World War II, like D-Day. You can think of when man walked on the moon, that that changed the course of history. Or 9-11, in our most recent memory, as an event that changed the course of of history, but today we are celebrating the greatest event in history, the event on which all of history pivots, the event that is the centerpiece of mankind and of history. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the central event in Christianity, but also in the history of the world. Without it, we don't have Christianity as Demer said earlier. The Apostle Paul writes that exact thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want a great study of the resurrection, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's sort of Paul's treatise on the resurrection and how important it is. And he says in verse 12 and following, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Listen to this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about our God that he raised Christ, whom, because we testified about our God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So Christianity hinges around 
the reality of, the historical veracity of the resurrection. It is an historical event. It's as essential to Christianity, it's as essential to the world as water is to the ocean. Without it, it doesn't exist. A resurrection-less Christianity, and there are branches of Christianity, I wouldn't call it true branches of Christianity, that, that have dismissed the resurrection as a reality, as a historical reality. Well, resurrection-less Christianity isn't possible. It's an oxymoron. It's like, it's like saying, my brother is an only child. Okay? It's an impossible statement to say that, Christi- that re- resurrection isn't true and I'm a Christian. Because they go hand in hand. It doesn't make sense without the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, though, is more than just a historical event and historical fact okay, that Christians look back on and celebrate. Okay, it, it, it accomplished something. It signaled that the final victory over sin and over death and over the grave itself has been accomplished for all who are in him. It signaled that the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf was accepted by God. He was raised from the dead and he has defeated Sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and following says, Death is swallowed up in sweet victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it also signaled a, a foretaste or a first fruits of what's to come for all who are in him. That we're all going to receive resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in verse 42 and following, it says, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown imperishable, what is raised, what is shown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. In other words, our bodies here, they will die. They will decay. They will fall apart eventually, okay? We, we will not live forever, but we will die. And if we are in Christ, then we will receive a resurrected body that cannot die when Christ returns. And it signals also a change, a transformation, a reality now in the life of a believer. Not just we're looking forward to the resurrection the resurrected body, but now there's a transformation, there's a resurrection life that occurs inside the heart, or should occur inside the heart of all who are true believers. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, a transformation that we see in the life of Saul here, resurrection transformation, a transformation that can occur in any other type of way, a change that can only happen through the power of a resurrected Savior operating inside of his life. Our world today loves change. We like to talk about change. It's kind of become a political slogan over the past few years to talk about change. We want to change this. We want to change that. Uh, we, we watch TV shows about change. Okay, Extreme home makeover. It isn't just about fixing up your house. It's about blowing the house up and building a new one. It, we, and we like that extreme change or or the show that Heather and I like to watch while we sit and eat, The Biggest Loser, okay? Um, you watch The Biggest Loser, it's, a, it's about, I'm serious, I mean, a little, little bit of ice cream, oh, well, you know. Um, but, you know, The Biggest Loser is about radical transformation. Matter of fact, there was one guy who lost, he, who won the thing a few years ago, and he lost tons of weight. He looked totally different. I mean, if you, if you see the show, they look like a different person by the end of the show, and, but they went back and visited him two, three years later, and he gained all the weight back. And it was all back. And I remember he was sitting there with one of the trainers and talking to him how he had, he had changed his body for a, a time, but he hadn't changed his life. In other words, he went back to the same life he had before, and his body turned back into the same thing it was before. And so everyone likes to talk about change. And today I want to talk about resurrection transformation, resurrection change. The Bible has several ways of referring to the change that is empowered by the resurrection of Christ. The Bible says that we're a new creation. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been transformed. You are being transformed into a new creation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
Also, the Bible refers to being born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That talks about something new, a change, born again. I remember um, reading uh, uh, um, a blog, I guess, and some people got in an argument on this blog about, and one lady got on there and says, I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again, and I don't get why you born againers tell us we all need to be born again. So she was, I guess I'm a born againer. All right, and that's what she was calling people who say, believe you need to be born again. It's not that we've tried to come up with some sort of phrase, you've got to be born again. It's that Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So you're not a Christian if you haven't been born again. It's just like resurrectionless Christianity, born again-less Christianity doesn't exist. It's just a label. And labels don't get you anywhere but a ticket to hell if you don't know Jesus Christ. Also, the Bible speaks of transformation, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed. So this change is something that happens immediately because we're born again when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But also, it's a transformation that's occurring because we're being made into the likeness of Christ, a transformation that will be completed when Christ returns or when we're with him in glory. Also, the Bible talks about putting on a new self. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This resurrection power of Christ ensures, empowers, enables a radical transformation in his followers that is a reality now, okay, which reaches its fullness when we're with Christ. All those who are truly in Christ have received and experienced radical Resurrection transformation. So that's our title for today, Radical Resurrection Transformation. Last week we started to look at the conversion of Saul. We looked at this experience that Saul had on the Damascus Road, and I said this last week, that true Christian conversion is an invasion of grace by King Jesus into the heart of a sinner that results in radical life transformation. So we looked at Saul's conversion experience there's some things in his conversion experience that are non-normative okay the the fact that he saw the risen christ physically and had this physical supernatural experience that's not normative i'm not saying it can't happen but it's not normative when someone comes to christ but there are some things in his in his conversion experience some elements of his conversion experience that are normative and if you'll remember last week i mentioned five things one Okay, that it's completely undeserved. Saul didn't deserve to have Christ invade his life with grace. Didn't deserve it at all. He deserved his, the road he was on, which wasn't just to Damascus, it was also a road to hell. He deserved to continue down that road, but God invaded his life with love and with grace. So it's completely undeserved. Number two, we talked about how it directly, a conversion experience directly confronts sin in our lives. You can't say, I'm a believer in Christ and go on with life the way it was before. It directly deals with sin and we have to confess our sin. There's no, there's no salvation without repentance from sin. Also, we looked at how it produces crushing humility. This, this man who was so strong heading into Damascus was crushed by Christ. He was being led by the hand because he was now blinded. And led by the hand, this powerful man now was humbled in the face of Christ. And a conversion experience does that. It humbles us. Number four, we also looked at it how it commands total obedience to Christ as Lord. That's what a true conversion experience does. Is it demands that, yes, Christ is now my Lord. There's no such thing as saying, I accepted Jesus as Savior, but I haven't accepted him as Lord. That's an impossible statement. It's not true and it's not biblical. Number five. It also commissions us for a new purpose in life. When you're converted to Christ, when you become a, a Christian, when God invades your life with saving grace, he puts you on a new course, a new commission for life. And we saw that Paul was on a new commission and had a new purpose for his life. But conversion is more than just changing sides or a change of allegiance. It's a radical transformation. It's a metamorphosis that happens in the heart. It totally and radically realigns our view of everything. It realigns the way we view our money. It realigns the way we understand family. It realigns the way we look at our time. It realigns the way we do everything in life. And that's what transformation 
is that's that happens at conversion, a red radical resurrection transformation. So I have a, a, a phrase I'm going to put up there on the screen for you guys. True Christian conversion is not merely a transaction we enter into and attempt to carry out, but a transformation that enters into us and is inevitably lived out. Now, I, my dad and I came up with that, that, that little statement last week. He, he said, hey, I, he wrote that. He said, I'm going to tweet this. <laughs> Go ahead, Dad. He said, I got this from your sermon today. I'm going to tweet this. Go ahead, Dad. Tweet away, Dad. I got a cool dad. My dad tweets, all right? And so my dad, so he tweeted this last week. And, I, and actually, I, I, I changed it a little bit, um, you know, just because I'm going to tweet it now. All right, so I changed it just a little bit. But I got to thinking about what conversion is. And, and a lot of times we look at, 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 at what happened on the cross, and we look at, 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 at our Christianity as a transaction. Okay, well, all right, sign me up. Sign me up. I, I'll be a Christian, yeah. All right, I, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. All right, yeah, I'll be a Christian now. And it's this transaction, okay? I'm a Christian, I'm in. And, uh, oh, and, uh, okay, now what do I need to do? Show me the rule book, okay? I'm going to, okay. And that's kind of the way we look at, that's not Christianity. It's not a club you join. Now, there is a transaction that occurs. It's on God's behalf. And that transaction is that Jesus pays the debt that we could not pay. Imagine you had a credit card debt that was the size of our government's debt, billions of dollars. And there was no way you could pay that debt. But to get into heaven, not only does your debt have to be paid for, you also have to pay God those same amount of money, billions of dollars. So you kind of have two problems. You have a debt on your own account, and you don't have enough to get into heaven. And so what happens on the cross is that Jesus paid the debt, the infinitely large debt that we could not pay. He paid it on the cross, and then he gave us something. He gave us his righteousness, too. So that when we stand before God, we have nothing to bring on our own. We can't say, I was a good person. I paid my taxes. I helped little old ladies walk across the street. I did all the kind of stuff. I was in the Boy Scouts. I voted Republican. Whatever. I'm just joking. We can't say, God, here I am. What we say is, God, look at what your son did for me. He paid the penalty. He paid the debt. And I present his righteousness because I can't claim any righteousness to get into heaven. He's perfect. He accomplished what I could not. And so we stand on that. That's the transaction that does occur. So there is a transaction, but I want us to understand that it's more than that. Because when that transaction occurs, that's why I said it's not merely a transaction. When that transaction occurs, a transformation occurs as well inside of us and it's inevitably lived out Christianity will result in changed living and it has everything to do with the resurrection I brought an illustration here this morning for the kiddos I've got a got a coloring book I'm thinking about thinking about um, Paul's Saul's transformation experience okay and, and at one point Paul was going along long life and, and life was just not it was empty. Okay, so what's in this? Ethan and Ella, tell me what's in this, this, this coloring book here. Nothing's in that coloring book. Paul thought he had it figured out, but really he had nothing. He had nothing. He had the law, and he was good at keeping the law, but it was insufficient. He really had nothing. And so God invaded his life with grace, and a transformation occurred. A transformation. Everything changed. All of a sudden, life was different. Now what's in there? Stuff. Stuff. Okay, what, what's in there? Okay. All of a sudden, he sees the light. And we like to use that term. He literally saw it. He saw the light. Boom. He saw it, and it blinded him. Kind of got a feeling of what Paul felt like this morning when coffee splashed into my eyes. Okay, I, I saw the coffee close up, and, and it burned, and I couldn't see for a few minutes, and it scared me. And I, got, I had to immediately go down to the ground. When you can't see, you begin to lose your equilibrium. And, and so he gets blinded by the light. He sees. And then God, Jesus says who he is. And we read that Paul gets up and he goes into Damascus. He's prayed over by Ananias. He's healed. He receives the Holy Spirit and he's baptized, meaning he accepts Jesus Christ. And now not only has he seen the truth, everything's changed now. Now look at it, Ethan and Ella. Wow. Now life has color. Life has meaning. 
Life has purpose. Life was empty. Okay? Life was empty. Totally empty. Okay? But God invaded his life, showed him that he needed to change, and showed him the truth. Showed him what the truth was. But that wasn't enough. He had to respond to that truth, and he did. And he received Jesus Christ and was radically transformed and radically changed. And so that's what happens. Mark's over there totally stumped. He's just, I, I mean, the kids are going, but Mark's going, hey, I'll show it to you later, all right? All right? Yeah, he thinks he figured it out. Hey, focus on the sermon, not that for the rest of the time, all right? So I want to talk about radical resurrection transformation this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture. Radical resurrection transformation results in, first of all, an unashamed, I'm sorry, it should be, there should be a slide before that. There we go. A desire to fellowship with other believers. Now you know the next two answers, but let's focus on this one right now. Resurrection, radical resurrection transformation results in a desire to fellowship with other believers. How do you know if you've truly received saving transformation in your life? I think there's five things. I'm going to add one because I thought of one as, as I was sitting right here and I was thinking about the passage. Um, so I'm going to give you six things. But here, the first one is a desire <clears throat> to fellowship with other believers. Verse 19. This is after he's been baptized. It says in verse 19, the second half of verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. Guys, it's important to understand that when radical resurrection transformation has occurred in our life, that we don't live in a vacuum at that point. We desire to be with other Christians. Christianity doesn't happen on its own. Part of what it means to be a Christian is that you've entered into a new family, a larger family, the family of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So we've entered into a new family. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are part of a body. You are members of the body of Christ. And so if you've truly been saved and radically transformed, you have a desire to be with the believers. You have a desire to be part of a body. You have a desire to be with your family. That's radical transformation. I have a hard time believing and understanding how it's possible for someone to enter into the family of God and really love Christ and not love his church. It's impossible. You can't love the family. If you're truly a part of it, you can't help but love the family. You can't help but want to be part of the body. And so that's what happens when you are radically transformed. It changes everything. And you have a desire to be with the church, with your family, with the people of God. First John three fourteen says, We know that all that excuse me, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We let me listen listen to that again. We know, how do you know that you've passed from death to life, that you've been resurrected, that you've had resurrection transformation happening in your heart? How do you know it? I mean, the, this is the Apostle John. Someone asked him the question, hey, John, how do you know if someone's really, really been saved? How do you know? What would he say? We don't have to ask. We have it. He says, this is how you know. Right here. Because we love the brothers. If there's no love for your family, if you don't want to be with the fellowship of the brothers, of the believers, there's no evidence of transformation. That's how you know. And we also need it. Oh, we need it for our faith and our growth and our encouragement. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says, in verse 24, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting what? To meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the application here is that radical resurrection transformation is accompanied in our new life by a desire to fellowship with others who have been transformed. With others who have been transformed. It changes our desires, what we want to do. Now, I know church, okay, sometimes can be boring. I can be boring. A lot of times the kids just start chuckling. All right, I am boring sometimes. But it's not about 
fun and just finding something that makes you um, just, uh, this morning with all the technology issues we're having, I leaned over to Deemer and said, hey, I'm going to become a primitive Baptist after this, okay? Let's just do away with all this stuff, and let's just, let's just preach and teach and wash feet, all right? Uh, y'all, in primitive Baptists wash feet. Anyway, I don't even know where I was going with that, but the point is, it changes you. You want to be with the believers. It, it remind, oh, okay. It reminded me of a friend of mine in college. I had a friend in college, and he kind of went through a transformation. He, he was, we, went to, we went to North Carolina to do some summer jobs together, and he was really into to rock, classic rock, heavy metal and stuff, too. And so, you know, you know, I was, too, at that time. That was mullet, the mullet days, all right? And so, you know, we're, we're rocking out all the way to North Carolina, you know, little Def Leppard and different things. Just we're, we're enjoying our time. And, and, uh, and while we're there in North Carolina, he had a bit of a personal crisis. He, he met this girl at Blockbuster, and she, and she broke up with him three days later. And it was just, he, was, he had this crisis, and he took off on a road trip for three days. We didn't know where he was. He's gone. So he comes back. He pops back in town, and he, said, he announces that he's now a country music fan. He says, I love country music. And he was singing my achy, breaky heart for the rest of the summer. Oh, it was awful. Okay? And so he's all of a sudden a country fan. He goes and buys himself a hat and some boots, and he goes back, and he's line dancing with the girls back at Hardin-Simmons when we get back to Abilene, Texas. He's totally changed. I don't know what happened. Something on his trip from North Carolina. He drove to Atlanta, by the way, and drove back. Something changed in him, or something snapped. One of the two. It was a radical transformation, and from that point forward, all he wanted, he didn't want to listen. As a matter of fact, he actually gave me a bunch of his old CDs and stuff because he didn't want to listen to that stuff anymore. And that's the way, when there's a change in your life, God changes. When there's a radical resurrection transformation, he tra- changes what you want to be a part of. He changes where you want to be on a Sunday morning. He changes what you want to spend your time and your money doing. It's a radical transformation. Second thing I want us to see is that radical resurrection transformation results in an unashamed declaration of true faith. Immediately, it says in verse 20, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Immediately, it says, once Saul became converted, once he knew the truth, he couldn't keep it in. He had to let people know. He had to share his faith. He had to proclaim Jesus. Now, most people don't start preaching sermons the moment they're saved. Paul had a little bit of a different background here. He was uh, a Pharisee, and he had extensive knowledge of the Old Testament. But he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. Now, I'm not saying that that's what should happen to everybody the moment they're saved, is that people should start standing up and teaching and preaching. But what I will say, say is this, that the first step in a believer's life when they confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior is to proclaim it, to make a proclamation of faith. I believe in Jesus. I want to let people know. Now, the best way to do that and the way the Bible prescribes for us to let people know that a transformation has occurred in our heart is to graphically illustrate it through what we call baptism. And that's what baptism is. It's an illustration of the transformation, the resurrection transformation in our life. We've been buried with Christ in baptism. We've been raised to walk in the newness of life, and that's why we baptize. And so the baptism in in the New Testament in Acts was these people's proclamation of their faith. So when you read in Acts where it says that 3,000 were baptized that day, you can imagine they're there outside the temple in some sort of pool of water. And as they're being baptized, they know this. The Jewish leaders who are watching me, who nailed Jesus to the cross, they know who I'm claiming my allegiance to now. And so as they come up out of that water, they know their life is on the line. But they're not ashamed to declare Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that is a key evidence that someone has been radically transformed in their life, is that they're not ashamed. To proclaim Jesus as Lord. Romans 6, starting in verse 4, talking about baptism, says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's that transformation again. Now that we're alive in Christ, we proclaim that Christ lives. Immediately he proclaimed. He didn't proclaim that he had been changed. I think that's popular today. Hey, something great happened in my life, which is fine. But we're all about self-help culture, aren't we? Something happened in my life. I'm at peace now. We like to talk about what's happened in us. That's fine. So long as you don't stop and, and go all the way, you need to explain why you've changed. 
And that is that Jesus has changed you. He's not just proclaiming that he's been changed or had a religious experience. He's proclaiming Jesus according to the scripture. A radically Christ-centered, transformed life is unashamed of Christ. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus will be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him. A radically transformed life is a life totally identified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's exactly where Saul's faith is. It says in this passage here, he proclaimed his faith in the Son of God. Okay, verse 20. He is the Son of God. Now, can you imagine? Let's just go back to the scene here. Saul is the primary prosecutor, persecutor of the church. He's gone to Damascus with letters that give him permission to take women and children who are Christians, throw them in jail, and perhaps have them put to death. He's been given that authority. Everyone knows this guy. He walks into the synagogue. Okay, maybe some people there didn't know what's going on. This guy's been missing for three days. What's been going on? He walks into the synagogue, and the things that, what comes out of his mouth is, he is the Son of God. And I imagine those, their jaw dropped like Mark's when he looked at that magic book over there. They were just like, what? He said, he is the Son of God. I find it interesting that Luke chooses, Luke chooses the words that he's going to record here for us about what Paul said the last thing Paul says before he says he is the Son of God in verse 5, the last thing he said was way back in verse 5, which was this. Who are you, Lord? It's the last thing Paul said. Saul, Paul, I'm using it interchangeably because his name's about to change. That's the last thing he says. Who are you, Lord? And the next thing we hear him saying, he is the Son of God. That's the very next thing we hear coming from the mouth of Saul. He is the Son of God. Something has changed in his life he's not ashamed to declare his true faith the answer he has been given is that jesus is sincerely and truly the son of the living god true faith is faith in who jesus says he is in scriptures the son is the co-equal with god part of the triune godhead father son and holy spirit jesus said in john 14 9 i i and the father are one and whoever has seen me has seen the father when we have a radical resurrection transformation moment in a person's heart, it changes everything. It changes the way we view life, and it changes the way we declare our allegiance. The next thing I want us to see is a radical resurrection transformation be <coughs> excuse me, results in a difference that is noticeable to onlookers. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who, was, who made havoc in Jerusalem and that are those who called upon this name. So he just heard this name, Jesus. And they're saying, isn't this Jesus guy, isn't this the one who was, who was actually, he, he's, isn't he the one that was actually persecuting that name? And then it goes on to say, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? A resurrection transformation in a person's life is evident to everyone. It should be apparent to everyone who knows you and who looks at you. The change is apparent to everyone who heard of this guy. Now Saul's situation here is pretty unique, okay? He was, he was probably pretty well known for his hatred of Christianity. But he's now professing the faith that he had once persecuted. Yet even without a life of flagrant sin or opposition to the gospel, people should still notice a change in our life. Change in the way we live. Like I said earlier, change in the way we use our money. Change in the way we spend our time. Change in the way we discipline our kids. Change in the way we uh, view marriage. Everything changes. Colossians 3, 6 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Everyone could tell 
something had changed in this man. So it's a radical transformation that everyone looking at can see something's changed. Okay, it'd be like, um, it'd be like Rush Limbaugh becoming a Democrat, all right? It'd be like, um, um, uh, let's say, the president of your, your United States deciding he's going to uh, change his citizenship, okay? Everything has radically changed. Or as someone pointed out last week as we were talking about radical change, be like Bin Laden all of a sudden saying, hey, you know what, here I am, I, and I've decided I'm going to become an American citizen. All right, I, I just really, I, I feel bad about everything I've done. I'm going to become an American citizen. It's a radical transformation that everyone looking at can say, hey, something's different in this guy. The other thing I want us to see is that radical resurrection transformation results in a pattern of spiritual growth and maturity. It says in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. Now, when it says Jews here, it's a general term referring to the Jewish leaders and those worshipers in the synagogue. Paul himself was a Jew. Okay? He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. The Christ meaning the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom they all were awaiting. And it says here he increased. That should be the mark of someone who has undergone radical resurrection transformation. Is that you should be increasing in your strength. Increasing in your knowledge of God, increasing in your ability to defend your faith, increasing your understanding of who He is, increasing in your vision of who God is. Let God expand your mind as to who He is, how sovereign He is, how absolutely in control He is. It blows your mind, and that's okay. Because if you're growing in your faith, those things should be happening. God should blow your mind as he helps you to understand who he is. Saul here, as I mentioned earlier, already has a lot of Old Testament knowledge, but all of it begins to make sense now in the light of Christ. All these Old Testament texts are coming together as he realizes Jesus is the one that the Old Testament proclaimed. Colossians 1.10 says that we should walk in a, worthy, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That that should be our walk. Don't be satisfied with what you know about God. Never be satisfied with what you know about God. The mark of someone who has been transformed by the power of Christ is that he's increasing in his knowledge of God. And he wants to increase in his knowledge of God. And that is the evidence that God's at work inside of us. Those who've truly been transformed are expected to grow. Okay? This week has been challenge for us in many ways but one of them has been in a very good way a beautiful challenge and that is that we've been hosting a couple of kids through bethany's um, safe family program they've been placed with us for a couple of weeks but one of them is a one-year-old you don't realize how quickly you forget how to take care of a one-year-old until you've got one i have a three-year-old so it doesn't seem like but something there's there's parenting amnesia that happens once they get out of the diapers and once they stop sticking their fingers in plugs and once they it's all of a sudden oh wait yeah I forgot about that and so you know and so we got this one year old and and you realize I I love babies I enjoy having this baby in our home and I love it but at the same time I've forgotten how much I love not changing diapers I, I really love not having to do something I love seeing my kids grow up too and every parent desires that they desire to see their kids grow up. Okay, and, and make something of their life and, and, and move out of the home and, and do something with their life. And, and we want to see that. And if you don't see growth, then, then there's concerns. If, all, if I'm still having to change my, my 11-year-old's diaper, then, then something's wrong. Then we, we should have gone to the pediatrician. Sorry, no. <laughs> that got your attention, though. You weren't paying attention to that. But uh, I'm sorry, buddy. All right. I, I'm not supposed to embarrass my kids in public. All right. I'm sorry. That was bad parenting right there. <clears throat> but you know what? If, if we don't see growth, if we don't see change, then we're concerned. And so should you be is if from the moment you became a Christian, you haven't seen change and you haven't seen growth and you haven't seen increase of knowledge in the Scriptures. If you haven't seen that, then there's something to be concerned about, seriously concerned about. And so we want to see that growth. Hebrews 5, 12, the author of Hebrews just kind of gets down to the point here. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So we should be growing in our ability to understand God, in our ability to defend our faith, to give a reason for the hope that lies within our hearts. That's what radical resurrection, transformation, should, that's what should be happening. Now, these first four, I believe, are relatively soon after we become a Christian, we should be seeing these things. The last one I'm going to bring up here, and then I'm going to add one more, but the last one I'm going to bring up here uh, should happen over time. And I think the text even bears that out. Look at verse 23. Now it says, when many days had passed, when many days had passed, more than likely, uh, this is the time, what Paul saw, what Luke is referring to here, is a three-year period. We know from other texts that Paul went away to Arabia for a little while and then came back to Damascus and was at least in Damascus or in Arabia for Three years before he goes to Jerusalem. And we see in this text he goes to Jerusalem here in just a few, few verses. So this is probably when those three years happened. After many days had passed. Okay, the Bible goes on to say, um, that begins to talk about what the Jews were trying to do to him. As they were trying to kill him. They plotted to kill him. They were waiting to ambush him. And then verse 25 tells us, but his disciples were able to get him out of the town. But his disciples. I find that very interesting. Now... Saul has disciples. And what that simply means is he's teaching others. He's got people now sitting at his feet as he teaches them the truths of Christ. And so my last point is this. Simply this. Radical resurrection transformation results in an effort to make more disciples. We should be discipling other people. That's a mark of the transformation that's happening in our life. Is that we should be discipling other people. Every believer should be discipling other believers. And unfortunately, and I confess this to you guys, and I'm not pointing fingers here, unfortunately, we let everything in life force, push that out. We're too busy to actually invest in that person's life. My job's too busy. I, can't, I don't have time to invest in another person's life. I'm not going to be making any disciples. But the Bible makes it clear. That's our mandate. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've taken that verse and we've boiled it down to a mission statement to slap onto a church's mission program. And then we say, hey, I'm doing it because I support my church. When in reality, that verse is for every believer, that we should all be going into all nations making disciples. We should be investing in other people's life, helping them to grow in the knowledge of our Savior, not just absorbing it ourselves. And that's the mark of radical resurrection transformation, is when that is happening in our lives. Christianity should be a highly communicable disease, all right? It should be highly communicable. We should be passing it on, and we should see it happen 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul here, he said, that's what's got to happen. You gotta, what I taught you, you teach other men so they can teach other men. And that's the pattern we see in the scriptures. Let me back up real quickly here before I conclude. <clears throat> As I was sitting here thinking about this text right before the service started, and I was thinking about Oh, this has been a really, really tough two weeks for me personally. And, uh, and then this morning with the coffee incident in, in my eyes and just some technical issues, and I was so distracted this morning. And, uh, and, and like I said, some, some of the distractions aren't bad distractions. They're good distractions. What the distractions I've experienced this past week, I wouldn't give up. But it doesn't mean I haven't fallen into stress and I haven't fallen into frustration and I haven't uh, wasted some time and not done things a as best as I could. And this has been such a tough couple of weeks. And then there were disappointments I set for myself. I, I was hoping we'd be in the building by Easter, and it just didn't happen. And I have to say that was, I, was, I was so disappointed, so disappointed. You know, I was hoping to have 20 visitors from Easter egg hunting here today. There's not. That's okay, you know. And, and, I, I, and I, some of these things are disappointments I've placed upon myself instead of just trusting God with them. But, but Satan is opposing us all the time and he wants to throw things in your face and yesterday at the easter egg hunt man we had we probably had 200 families just walking out saying 
Uh, I don't know if we had that many there, but let's say 100 families walking out saying, man, this was wonderful. One of the comments was, this was so well organized. Thank you guys so much for doing this for the community. And that's what I heard over and over and over again. And that's what I want Toby and Kristen to hear and our team to hear. But you know what? There was one person who walked out. One person who walked out, said ugly words to us, said we, didn't, we weren't honest, and called me on the phone and just didn't like our Easter egg hunt one single bit. And it was ugly, ugly, ugly about it. And that one person, Satan will use that one person to rip the joy of that event out of our hands. He'll use that one person to make you feel like a failure. He'll use whatever circumstances he can to get you down. And the last point I want to make here is that if you've really experienced radical resurrection transformation, I don't even know how to word it to fit it with all the other points, but it's this, that you will experience opposition. And if you're gliding through life and there's no opposition, and Satan's not attacking you, and he's not going after your family, and he's not going after your church, and he's not going after your, your emotions, and he's not just trying to knock you down all the time, then that's not evidence that there's anything going on that he needs to worry about. He's not going to bother you if he doesn't have to worry about you. He's going to leave you alone, especially if you're on the highway to hell, which where he wants you anyway. You just keep on going down that glide with cruise control on. I'm going to deal with these other people. And he wants to get you down, and there's going to be opposition here. And Saul immediately... He proclaims Jesus, and I bet he was hoping, I bet he was hoping when he walked into that synagogue, he'd say, guys, look at me. Jesus has changed me. No one opposed the gospel more than me. Nobody opposed the gospel more than me, and he is Lord. And I bet he was hoping that all the people there in the synagogue would just go, woo, yeah, sign me up, yeah, I'm on board. But they didn't. They tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. And the persecution that he raged with against the church has now been turned on him because it's a weapon of Satan to try to kill the church. And God takes Satan's weapon, shoves it back in his own belly, and causes the church to explode because of persecution. We've talked about that before. But one of the signs of radical resurrection transformation is that there's opposition in your life. And so don't, don't, just get, don't buy into the TV preachers that say if you have enough faith, life is going to go whew, smooth and easy. That is Satan's lie. And he's using the church to propagate that lie. And he's wrecking life after life after life after life after life through that lie that if you have enough faith, you're going to have enough money. I heard a preacher once say that someone criticized him for driving a fancy car, and he said, I just told that person it shows that I'm right with God and you're not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's creeping up from the grate over the pit of hell, and it's creeping into the church. And even the churches that aren't word of faith churches tend to buy into this. Well, I guess God's mad at me or something because nothing's going right in life. That's not true. Don't buy into it. It's a lie. There will be opposition. Jesus said, if they opposed me, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And Satan's going to fight you all the way. Radical resurrection transformation. It results in all those things. I want to close with a passage of scripture from the word, from the mouth of this man Saul who's been so radically changed. And then I want us to pray. And we'll conclude 20 minutes late. That's all right. Philippians chapter 3, uh, one of my favorite verses, and you can substitute what you want to substitute here to make it apply to your life, but listen to this, first Paul begins to talk about what he, the bragging rights he had before he became to Christ, and listen to what he says, starting in verse 5, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, I was blameless. And then came verse 7, which happened on the Damascus Road. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered, suffered. I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. I can't use the English translation of that word, how strong he was when he said rubbish. It would be bleeped. 
I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's that transaction I was talking about that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, know him. That verb, know him, means a continual action. That I might continually be knowing him. It's not that I have it all figured out. Here is the Apostle Paul writing the scriptures itself. And he says that I might know him. He wants to know more of God. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That I, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's the radically transformed life right there. A life that counts everything else as rubbish. Flush it down the toilet. Flush your job down the toilet compared to Christ. It's all rubbish compared to Christ. Every treasure you can think of. Go for it if you want to. But it's rubbish in the end if you don't have Christ. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to pray this morning. I know we've gone long. And kids, I really, really, really appreciate you guys hanging in there this morning. <clears throat> Bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to ask Mark just to lead us in one song, a song about Jesus, about turning uh, our focus to Jesus and how sweet Jesus is. So Mark's going to lead us in that song as we close. And if this morning you need to talk to anyone this morning about receiving that resurrection power of Christ, both Deemer and I are available, either after the service or even right now. Just come up here and uh, grab me and take me over the side, and we can talk about it. Uh, if you're here this morning and you are living the Christian life, but you haven't experienced the level of radical transformation that you know God expects of you, then pray. The, the, the key here isn't to all of a sudden say, yeah, I'm going to work harder. The key is to get on your knees and say, God, I need your grace to do more work in my heart. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now, Lord, I thank you for sustaining, uh, sustaining my voice through this message. And Lord, I thank you for uh, giving this message. And God, I just pray that you would take uh, all the truth that's spoken here and, Lord, apply it to the hearts of um, everyone here. Lord, if there's any error that I've spoken this morning, God, I ask that you forgive me and that you would um, strike it from the minds of everyone here and just take your word, the purity of your word. Let it change us. God, we want to be changed. Radical resurrection transformation, Lord, isn't something that's over the moment we say I'm a believer it's something that's just beginning so God help us none of us here can walk away this morning and say I've been transformed enough we need to be changed God we need you to change our appetites change our desires change our focus God if we're apathetic this morning if we don't give a rip about the faith God I pray that you'd invade our hearts don't let us leave here don't let us leave here and go back to the vain worthless empty treasures of this world they will not satisfy. So God, this morning I pray that you transform our hearts, make us more like you. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Oh, help us, Lord, to trust in the sweet name of Jesus for everything we need in life. So now we ask that you receive these offerings of song and praise as we close. We ask all this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rise now and stand as we sing to the risen Savior.